Welcome to Season 2 of The Straight and Marrow, a podcast that discusses all things allogeneic bone marrow transplant, from pre-transplant considerations to survivorship, using experiences of healthcare professionals, patients and carers, with current evidence to keep it straight. The Straight and Marrow is sponsored by Arrow, the Bone Marrow Transplant Foundation. Arrow's mission is to improve the survival and quality of life for bone marrow transplant patients and to provide support for carers. Hi, Alex. Hello, Yvonne. How are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. 2024. It's a great year for us. It is a great year for us. (laughs) Yeah. We're doing something a little bit different today. I'm going to, well, I guess we're going to interview each other. Yes. The idea for this episode is, I guess, based from all the phone calls that we've gotten from patients over the years asking, like, is this graft versus host disease? And is this something to escalate? And, you know, they just don't know if it's a thing or not. And so today we've decided to talk through how to do a GVHD, graft versus host disease, self-assessment. Yes. All right. Well, I guess we could just start from the very top. Yeah, let's do that. I suppose the first thing we could do is just draw the listeners' attention to the graft versus host disease episode. Oh, yes. We've done one before. Yeah. So uh, in January 2022, Ah. when we were baby podcasters. We had Dr. Ray Koo join us then and we are a big fan of him. That podcast episode was very popular. It is, I think, one of our most popular episodes. Yeah, and, you know, for lots of reasons, obviously, because um, Ray presented the conversation really well. But, you know, it is something on people's lips and in people's minds who are having transplants and their carers as well because it's probably one of the most confusing. Yes, I was thinking confusing. Mm. I mean, you know, even the name, graft versus host disease. Yeah, yeah. I've been employed as a graft versus host disease nurse consultant for around four years now and I think it only late last year did my family realise it wasn't gravahoda disease. (laughs) (laughs) I had to spell it out. (laughs) To all our listeners, we do understand and appreciate it is confusing and hopefully... We can have a conversation today to make it a little less confusing. Yeah, shine some light on it and if any of these things happen to you, they can maybe trigger a call to your transplant team. Yeah, absolutely. Can you get any changes to your hair with graft versus host disease, Yvonne? Yeah, so this is this is interesting um, and often people who experience things like hair loss, it is in an area where they have skin involvement of graft-versus-host disease. Mm. So people may find that they don't, um, and this is for men and for women, that their hair growth may be minimal or non-existent in an area where they have skin skin involvement of graft-versus-host disease. Some people after transplant do describe that the hair on their head doesn't grow back uh, as... uh, Quite the same. Quite the same, yeah. Mm -hmm. And look, that can be multifactorial. You know, obviously some of the chemotherapy drugs that we use pre-transplant can affect hair follicles and affect hair regrowth after transplant. 
corticosteroids can affect yeah. hair growth. And I guess there's there's a lot of hormone changes that the body goes through that could have an impact. So it's not just graft versus host disease. Absolutely. You know, particularly the hormone that men have more of and women have some of called testosterone, it does uh, help to regulate the growth of underarm and genital area hair. And so if uh, testosterone is low, sometimes that can affect hair regrowth in those areas as well. And obviously for men, facial hair. So, you know, it's not necessarily graft versus host disease, but as I said, certainly in areas that are affected, where the skin's affected, hair Mm. growth can be affected. I sometimes um, associate the fingernails with hair and I notice that patients can also, they might observe their fingernails and see some ridging or Mm. withering away. Absolutely. Uh, It can be difficult to grow nails fully, like normally. Yeah, and they can be really friable. Mm. I know you've got some great tips for patients about their fingernails, Alex. Don't Um, give away part two of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yes, certainly nail beds can be affected. And, you know, there are things, quite simple topical things that we can use to manage those symptoms. But the presentation is often, as I said, friable nails, so thin, almost crepe paper thin Mm -hmm. nails. They might catch when you like put your socks on, you might notice your fingernails catch. That can be a sign of graft versus host disease. Yeah, broken easily, cracks, catch easily, can bleed and be quite painful for people. You use your finger, you know, your fingernails are always... Until you don't have them, you don't realise how much you need them. Absolutely. You don't know what it's got until they're gone. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the hair link and the nails link quite closely to skin, which is one of the most common manifestations of graft-versus-host disease. Yeah, biggest organ in the body. Biggest organ in the body. And in my opinion, I think it has a, a really broad range of manifestations. Yes. I guess I would start with sometimes people can notice itch. Yes. It can be red patches. Yes. But it's quite variable, the types of rashes people can get, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Look, the first thing I would say about skin or cutaneous graft-versus-host disease is firstly a reminder that the skin has a number of different layers. And so firstly, it can be very much affecting the top layer for some people and for other people it can actually affect the layers below the top layer and Mm. so the skin presents quite in a more thick way. The other thing I would say to people about graft-versus-host disease, and you've picked up on that, Alex, is that it does present in many different ways but often will be, as you say, with an itch, often can be inflamed, so red, Mm. and often presents with, and I don't want people to get bogged down in in the language because the thing about skin graft versus host disease is there's lots of big words. So to, many big words. Big words to describe the different presentations. Don't get bogged down in that. But what it can often present as is what we call a macular papular rash. Mm. So both a red and raised rash yep. at the same time, yep. which is itchy. Yep. So those sorts of things you should always report. It may not be graft versus host disease. It can be, you know, that your skin's a bit sensitive and Mm. you've used a new washing detergent or you've eaten something new that your body's not quite prepared for. But it's possible. 
Um, would it typically present on just one side of the body or would it be all over the body or can it be patchy? It can be patchy. Mm. That's the other thing. It can be patchy. We really encourage people to report anything unusual on the skin or, you know, for that matter, anywhere in the body. But certainly if you're, you know, post-allogeneic transplant and you're within the period of particularly of developing acute graft versus host disease and you have a red raised itchy rash, let your healthcare team know. One of the other manifestations of chronic GVHD can sometimes be pigmentation changes. Yes, yes. Um, can you comment on that at all? The distinction between presentation of acute skin graft versus host disease and chronic skin graft versus host disease is really important. And so as you know, Alex, working very closely with people who have graft versus host disease or are even those at risk of developing graft versus host disease, people can present without ever having had acute graft versus yeah. host disease. So with ever, you know, without ever having had that itchy red raised rash, but may in fact present with what we talked about before, thickening of the skin. Mm. And it may be in just a particular area. It might be on the lower legs or mm. the upper arms or across the abdominal area or across the chest wall or on the back. It might be a large area or it might be patches. So that more chronic cutaneous or chronic skin graft versus host disease may present as hyper, so dark pigmentation or hypo, mm. more lighter, almost opaque, perlized mm. looking patches of skin that when you touch them can feel quite thick, sometimes yeah. feel dry. Yeah. So it presents quite differently to acute skin graft versus host disease. When you talk about the tightness of the skin, how, how can people feel that? One of the things that we do as healthcare professionals is we, if we're concerned that people have thickening of the skin or what we call sclerodermatous graft versus host disease, we do what's called a pinch test where we try and pinch the skin to see whether there is any actual elasticity or... Because mm. or, or you should be able to pinch the skin, absolutely. right? Absolutely. It doesn't matter how many times a week you go to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> you should be able to pinch some skin. So, and look, that's, you know, that, that's not something that we expect patients to be able to do. Mm. That would certainly be something that we would be doing in, in the hospital clinic environment as part of our graft versus host disease assessment. And certainly for you, Alex, is that something that you would do when you're seeing patients? 100%. Yeah. 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 So as well as doing a, you know, a, a visual assessment, actually you know, touching people's skin and being able to pinch it is a really important part of assessing people for graft versus host disease of the skin. Yeah, and I think it's really good when you when you lay hands on the skin and just have a feel of what normal feels like so that you can have an idea if it changes what, you know, what perhaps graft versus host disease might feel like if it was to happen to you. Moving on from skin, another area that's very important in terms of assessment of graft versus host disease and it is closely related to skin mm. graft versus host disease but less, I suppose, uh, less common mm. and less commonly known about is graft versus host disease of the joints. 
Ah, and the, yes. And the fascia. They are well linked. Yeah. And so the sorts of things that we would be asking people to look out for and report to us would be, you know, have you noticed that you have less flexibility in your joints? Yeah. So are you finding it difficult to extend your arms? Mm, mm. Are you finding it difficult to form what we call a prayer pose? Yes. So putting your hands together as if you were in a prayer pose. Do you find it difficult to do a squat? Yes, yes. Or raise your hands above your head. Yeah, exactly. Or raise your arms in front of you and keep them up in front of you equally. So those sorts of things we would be asking people to report upon and certainly in that, you know, at least that first 12 months after transplant, they're the sorts of uh, examinations and assessments that we incorporate into standard practice. Yeah. Because the other thing is is that people's bodies feel quite different after they've had a yeah. transplant. You know, people feel quite deconditioned mm. and so sometimes subtle changes are difficult for people to identify themselves. So it's really yeah. important that we help people uh, through that process of identification as well through our own assessments. Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's adjusting to a new normal. Mm. And um, and whilst we don't want you to be hypervigilant, knowing what to look out for can maybe help some of that adjustment period. Yeah, absolutely. So now we've done kind of like that, I think of it as like the outside part of the body, the skin and the joints. Let's go back up to the top. Mm. GVHD can affect your eyes. True or false? True. And in fact, is probably one of the most common presentations Mm. of, or one of the most kind of long-term symptoms that people describe in long-term follow-up. And they describe it as dry eyes. Mm -hmm. Painful dry eyes. Yeah. And look, it can be very painful, particularly if people have inflammation, Mm. if they have conjunctivitis, so inflammation of the conjunctiva associated with it, if they have decreased, significantly decreased tear production, so Mm. decreased lubrication. Um, Can they be discharged from the eyes? Yeah, absolutely. So people often describe, um, particularly if it's in its more acute inflammatory phase, people can have quite uh, red eyes and they can uh, have discharge as well from the eyes. The thing with graft versus host disease of the eyes or ocular graft versus host disease is often it is because of decreased tear production and the tears that people are producing are not as good quality. So Mm. don't have all the nutrients and things in them that people would normally have within their Mm. tears. And so their eyes don't feel as well lubricated. And they so often describe it as gritty, don't they? Yeah. So even that simple kind of, you know, very natural um, act of blinking can be really uncomfortable for people. And, I mean, we, we rely on blinking to lubricate the surface of our eyes. But for people with significant eye graft versus host disease or ocular graft versus host disease, the simple act of blinking can be really uncomfortable. Mm. So, I mean, I know we're going to talk about symptom, supportive care and symptom management, but, you know, obviously, you know, the big thing I would recommend is if you do notice any grittiness or dryness in your eye to report it because ensuring that your eyes are adequately lubricated is super, super important. Mm. And there are lots of different um, agents that we can use. Yeah. Do um, do people get any sensitivity to light or 
maybe wind or their environment? Absolutely. So people often describe light sensitivity. The other thing people describe, which I'm sure you've had patients um, tell you as well, Alex, is they have different symptoms depending on the seasons. Ah, so, yes, you know, that's right. That, that, you know, if hay fever season, their eyes are more uncomfortable than in seasons where they're, you know, we don't have as many allergens floating around in yep. the air. Makes sense. Absolutely makes sense. So, you know, people will often describe having to increase the amount of, you know, times they're using their lubricating eye drops. Yep. So, you know, that's that. That's the thing is that, you know, we try not to see things in isolation. We look at what's going on. You need a big or, picture view. A big picture view. What's going on in, in the environment at that time? Also, what are things that people are doing themselves, you know? So that's the other thing, you know, what sort of work are they in? Yeah. Are they working in an environment where there is more, you know, in, a, in an office where there's, you know, a lot of air conditioning, mm. which is contributing to their dryness? You know, do they, are they in an occupation where there's debris that's, you know, yep. contributing to, to their eyes being exposed to other allergens? I think one of the most common representations of graft versus host disease that I see in clinic is oral or mouth graft versus host disease. Is that do you see that in practice too? Yeah. So probably less commonly in long-term follow-up, although we certainly see chronic oral or chronic mouth. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't roll yeah. off the tongue. <laughs> uh, graft versus host disease in um, later on post-transplant. But how it presents is quite different. So yep. tell us about what you see, Alex. Um, often uh, it will start perhaps with some sensitivity to spicy or acidic foods. And then patients might describe some pain when they're swallowing uh, and it can manifest in ulcers in the back of their mouth or in the hard palate or really anywhere, um, it might manifest in some dryness or hyposalivation and people, I will often ask, like, can you get through a sandwich without having a drink of water? Yeah, that's that's actually a really good question to ask people because sandwiches can be quite dry. They can be quite yeah. dry. <laughs> <laughs> there can sometimes be white patches on the mucosa or the cheeks, mm. the inside of the cheeks. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it can really be quite uncomfortable for people and can sometimes affect how much food they can eat, what kind of food they can eat and how they can swallow. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's a really important point is to remember that the digestive system extends beyond the oral cavity, so beyond the mouth. Yeah, I like saying if you put your tongue to your cheek and you can feel that mucosa, that soft texture yes, that goes all the way from the mouth, down the esophagus, through all your intestines to the anus yes, and is also present in the genital tract, which we'll get to next. Yeah. If graft-versus-host disease can affect the mucosa of the mouth, it can also affect the esophagus, perhaps difficulty swallowing or people might describe things getting stuck and it can go all the way down. Yeah, absolutely. It is interesting how the lining of those different parts of the body are so similar and so we often see graft-versus-host disease present in one area of the body and another area of the body, you know, that are in opposite ends of the body simultaneously. But just sticking with oral or mouth graft-versus-host disease just briefly before we move on, um, you know, what we tend to see later post-transplant 
rather than those really acute inflammatory mm. ulcerations that you see, Alex, in your practice, we tend to see dry mouth. Yeah. So you mentioned before, you know, um, decreased saliva production, so dry mouth, the white plaques, so the mm. white patches that you mentioned. And, you know, that can have an effect on people's dental health. Yes. So I never knew how important saliva was for the tooth health. Yeah, so obviously lubrication but also the antibacterial um, properties that are natural to things like, you know, saliva and also, you know, the, y- y- your tears in your eyes yeah. and all of that help in, 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 in more ways than just lubrication. And obviously when something's dry, there's a greater risk of impairment to that layer and so as mm, soon as like you trauma s- trauma inflammation breaking down the layer and as soon as you break down the layer there is increased risk of infection yeah. so i a big message for anyone who has um, any oral symptoms is you know any dryness any white patches any ulceration inflammation difficulty swallowing or they find that their mouth is irritated by spicy food or even things like sparkling drinks, mm, you know, soft effervescent, drinks, effervescent yeah. drinks, sharp food is to report it to your healthcare team. My other big message is super important to see a dentist regularly yes, and to prioritise that after transplant. It is vitally, you know, dental health is, is is very important, not only for oral health, but for the health of your whole body. Yeah, and it, and it really will impact your quality of life and, you know, it's better to get on it early. Yeah, absolutely. So the gastrointestinal tract can be affected by graft-versus-host disease too. And when we're talking about your mucosa going from your mouth all the way down to the anus... Tell me more about that. Yeah, so I like to talk about it as the digestive tract. Yeah, that sounds better. Yeah, yeah. You know, because, you know, digestion starts in the mouth and ends in the rectum and the Mm -hmm, anus mm -hmm. and goes through a whole process in between. Certainly, as well as the mouth, like we've just described, the areas in between can be affected, including the esophagus. Mm. And again, often what we see in the mouth particularly patients you see, Alex, you know, that inflammation, the ulceration, the painful swallowing often extends into the esophagus. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes, you know, I'm sure you've seen patients where their their mouth actually looks pretty good, but they're describing painful swallowing. So may in fact have that redness and inflammation and ulceration. Further down where we can't see. Further down where we can't see it. Mm. And we like to see things, don't we? Yes. Yeah. What other manifestations or what? how else does the digestive tract potentially manifest as graft versus host disease? Yeah. So in a few different ways that people will certainly be familiar with, but again, as we've said before, may also be symptoms related to things that are not graft versus host disease. So don't panic. Just talk to your healthcare team. Nausea. Okay, so nausea, particularly when we're thinking about the gastrointestinal tract or the digestive system in its upper and lower portions, you know, we can see nausea affect people. We can also, people can feel bloated. Yeah, yeah, bloated and sometimes some diarrhoea. Yeah, absolutely. So particularly for acute graft versus host disease of the gastrointestinal tract or the gut, 
um, diarrhea in various different forms. And I know people think that diarrhea is one form, which no, is no, loose. No. no, 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 it can come in different forms. <laughs> um, but you know, graft versus host disease diarrhea is quite um, specific to graft versus host disease. It has a particular believe it or not, a particular look and a particular odour. But in order to confirm that diagnosis, people may require colonoscopy, so a a little telescope into the anus and the rectum, into the bowel to confirm that diagnosis. But the chronic GVHD can also sometimes have diarrhoea? Yeah, look, more often than not, people with chronic graft-versus-host disease of the gastrointestinal tract or the gut People may have uh, irregular bowel motions or more bowels that misbehave. So sometimes Mm. they have constipation, sometimes loose bowel motions, sometimes people describe food intolerances that they didn't have. Yes, that's quite common, particularly to dairy products or high sugary things like fruit or fruit juice. Yes, fructose, yeah, fructose, lactose, things like that can sometimes be related to graft versus host disease or maybe just related to your body slowly getting back to normal. Recovering. Recovering after transplant and not producing the same amount of enzymes that you would normally produce in your body to break down some of those some of those more complex yeah. sugars. The big take-home messages, again, are to report things like nausea, vomiting, diarrhoea, bloating, cramps, yeah, stomach pain, cramps, anything that is not typical and your healthcare team can help to guide you about what to do with them. Moving on, we know both from our own experience but also in the literature is that there is a relationship between oral or mouth graft-versus-host disease and graft-versus-host disease of the genital tract, particularly for patients who have a vulva. Yes, that's so true. And it's something that if you are noticing some changes in your in your mouth, you should, you know, perhaps do a self-examination or ask your healthcare professional to consider that maybe there could be genital tract graft versus host disease. So for people with a vulva, this could manifest as pain, redness. You see this more often than I, Yvonne. Help me out. Yeah. So, um, look, there's it, it, it's interesting. Genital tract graft-versus-host disease, particularly for patients with a vulva, is probably underreported. Mm. So the symptoms that you've just described, Alex, so things like dryness or discomfort. Yes. So, And discomfort might be identified even if you're perhaps, you know, wiping yourself after going to the toilet. Yeah, okay. Or if you're being intimate yeah. with yourself or with a partner. It could be painful. It could be painful. Um, the other um, symptom can be some discharge. Mm. So any changes to the genital area should be reported to your healthcare professional. It's more commonly seen as chronic graft-versus-host disease yeah. rather than acute, but can be seen earlier than what is reported or what we usually see. So my recommendation is that any new change to the genital tract for patients with a vulva should be reported. For patients with a penis, the manifestation of genital graft-versus-host disease 
as opposed to genital tract, can be similar to what we see for skin graft versus host disease. So it may be on the tip of the penis, you notice some white changes, some white patches or some inflammation. Some redness redness, or discharge. Discharge and some pain. Again, it may be pain on urination or during intimacy Mm. with yourself or someone else. Um, And again, any of those symptoms should be reported to your yeah. healthcare professional. And I urge you, our you know much loved and appreciated audience, that even if your healthcare professionals are not asking you questions about your genitals and your or your genital tract, that if you do have symptoms, that you report yeah. those symptoms to your healthcare professionals. Yeah. Yeah. Find someone you feel really comfortable talking to and, and that's a and really good point because it's underreported and people, you know, perhaps might feel shy or might f- be focusing on getting their bone marrow results, but this is important stuff for yeah. your quality of life. Yeah, and also the other thing I think that's really important is that it may not be graft versus host disease. Yeah. It might be, you know, it might be hormones or it might be, you know, just you know, your body is going through some changes after chemotherapy and, and transplant. So that's the other thing about having the conversation is that sometimes those conversations don't end up with a diagnosis. They end up with reassurance. Yes, that's a really good point. Yeah. I thought to round out today we might quickly touch on lungs mm. and pulmonary graft-versus-host disease. Mm-hmm. As well as, of course, there can be liver graft-versus-host disease, but it tends to be uh, asymptomatic too. With liver graft-versus-host disease, often people don't know they have it until we tell them. Yes, because we can diagnose it on a blood test. Yeah, we can. Obviously, there are different degrees of severity and, you know, certainly any inflammation in the liver can result in things like fatigue, Mm. potentially nausea, but more often than not, people who have liver graft versus host disease, you know, they, they know because we tell them and we put them on some medication and say, this is why we're adding this or increasing this or, and then we monitor it using a blood test, but also obviously through clinical examination of the liver through abdominal examinations. But the lungs, pulmonary graft versus host disease, yeah. whilst we can measure that and we can leave that to the side, how how does it manifest? What are the symptoms? Yeah, so so lung graft versus host disease is one of the less common forms of graft versus host disease, but one of the most significant and potentially life-changing forms of graft versus host disease. It can manifest or it can present, sorry, as um, shortness of breath on exertion, so when you're being active or with minimal activity. It can also present as a dry cough and shortness of breath. So what I mean by a dry cough is a, a cough without bringing anything up. Mm, like a persistent dry cough. Yeah, one of those annoying dry coughs. Yeah. And you think, oh, why won't this go away? We can see lung graft versus host disease present uh, without any other form of graft versus host mm. disease. So it doesn't necessarily have to present with other forms of graft versus host disease. And we can see it present both as an acute form, but more commonly we see it as a more chronic form of graft versus host disease. People start experiencing 
this shortness of breath and a persistent dry cough, we'd encourage you to talk to your healthcare professionals, talk to your transplant team. Yep, absolutely. So I would definitely highly recommend people always reporting any changes in what we call functional capacity. So if you notice there's a change in the type of activity that you are able to tolerate. Mm. So, for example, if you're someone that routinely... I've got one. I've got a patient who routinely goes ballroom dancing. Yes. And he wasn't able to do the full hour of ballroom dancing and that was one of the signs that his functional capacity was lessening. That's such a great example. (laughs) That is a brilliant example. For the record, he's back to the full hour of ballroom dancing. That is fantastic. (laughs) Congratulations to him and to his team. So, you know, they're the sorts of things that I would definitely recommend that people, people report. Changes in functional capacity, so the amount that you can participate in activity. You know, if you need to stop during activity. Mm, Take more frequent rest breaks. Yeah, and you don't usually have to do that. Absolutely report that. A lot of this is kind of like knowing your own body. Is that fair to say? Like listening to your body, Mm. not dismissing any symptoms and just being engaged with your treating team. Yeah, be alert, not alarmed. That's what I would say. Be alert, not alarmed because... I'm going to put that in the tagline, be alert, not alarmed. Yeah, because I think the the risk is, is that sometimes people, both patients and carers and healthcare professionals can focus very much on transplants and think that things are just purely related to the transplant or graft versus host disease or complications of transplant, but sometimes they can be just regular things like a common cold. A common cold can cause a dry cough too. Yeah, that's right. But just asking the question yeah. um, and, you know, reporting your symptoms is really important. Yeah. Any other take-home messages, Yvonne? Look, I think that the big thing, and I think that what you've just said, Alex, around being familiar with your body, being Mm. very familiar with what your body is like under regular circumstances and then being able to identify any subtle changes, sometimes keeping a bit of a diary can be really helpful because when you think about people as an inpatient during their transplant, you know, people are in on average for, say, four weeks and... We do so much for people and, and, you know, give them so much information and, you know, people are relying on us to do all of the assessments Mm. and um, make the decisions and then people go home and we expect them to do those things for themselves and for the carers to participate in those sorts of things. And it can be very overwhelming as well as managing medication and, you know, food and fluid intake and activity and all of the various recommendations that we're very good at giving to people. Um, So, you know, I I think that ask questions, seek information and, you know, keep a a bit of a diary about any new symptoms but also things like, you know, how much you're drinking, how much you're eating and, you know, how you're feeling as well generally in yourself. Your general sense of well-being will tell you a lot. Yeah, so how you're feeling physically, how you're feeling emotionally. I think all of those things are are things that I would recommend that help to build a story that helps us to to look after people after transplant with or without graft-versus-host disease. Well, thank you, Yvonne. Thanks, Alex. Great conversation. Thanks for listening and hope you've enjoyed the podcast as much as we have. 
Just a reminder that although our Straight and Married team are experienced healthcare professionals, we are unable to give individual medical advice. If you have a medical query, please speak to your treating team. See you next time at the Straight and Marrow and don't forget to subscribe to receive podcast updates. And for more information about Arrow, the Bone Marrow Transplant Foundation, go to arrow.org.au.